Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please take a moment for silent reflection. Gracious God, in this moment of silence and stillness, perhaps the most silent and still we've been all week, we pray that you'd open our ears to hear your voice speak to us. You'd open our hearts to receive your grace because the reality is we live in a world that traffics in noise. Voices from without telling us to achieve more, be more, strive more, purchase more, be more productive, put our best foot forward, look good at all costs. If we can't look good, at least don't look bad. And we are anxious and exhausted. Many of us have that inner critic that speaks to us from within, telling us that we're going to fail or we have failed, that the verdicts that have been passed on us in the past are true, that we're not going to amount to all that we thought we would. We regret the past, we fear the future, and so we don't do the one thing we need to do, which is actually live right now, right here in the present. We get lost so easily. We come here from a diversity of viewpoints and backgrounds, believing and unbelieving, most of us somewhere in between. Help us to see in the midst of all of that fracturedness and all that hurriedness and all that diversity, you actually know us, you see us. You see us in all of our complexity and contradiction and you love us. Your response is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so now we pray that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be changed, that you would bless us and send us out 
to be agents of your renewal wherever we go. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Um, there was a story in a TED Talk. I, I watched this TED Talk by Sir Ken Robinson on education at least twice a year. It was one of the first TED Talks that went viral. And he talks about this little girl in a school in England who had never, um, never paid attention in class. And at this point, she's actually in the back of class, and she's paying attention, and she begins to draw. It's a drawing lesson. And she's drawing fastidiously, and the teacher comes up and says, little girl, what are you drawing? And she says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher says, but nobody knows what God looks like. And she responds, they will in a minute. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, because nobody knows what God looks like. Until, as Christianity would claim, you can look at Jesus, who is known as the image of the invisible God, the exact imprint of the divine creator. As Jesus said in John chapter 14, when you see me, you see the Father, because the Father and I are one. So as we said earlier, you can look at the ocean and know that God is powerful. You can watch a sunset and know that God is beautiful, but it's in Jesus that you can know God's character. And it's in this passage where he, we have Jesus calling some of his very first followers. This is a companion piece to the piece we studied and listened to last week from John chapter 1. And he's, following, he's calling his first followers and he's saying in verse 17, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you can actually receive it. You can be a part of it. The glory and the majesty. That sense that you have in your life that there has to be more than this that there has to be more meaning than you're currently experiencing. He's saying you have that desire because there's something there to be longed for. It is the kingdom of heaven and you were created for it and it is actually at hand and you can turn, you can receive it. You can make it a part of your life and you can become a part of this great kingdom. I mean, what if there's an invitation so powerful and so loving that it could reshape and repurpose your entire world? And if that's the case, how do you hear that sort of an invitation? How do you respond? Jesus comes with that kind of invitation. He comes with a, an invitation that includes a call to transformation, a call to relationship, and a call to healing. First, a call to transformation. In verse 12 through 17, the very beginning here, we actually see the context for Jesus' life-changing world-transforming ministry and mission. The context is that John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who would go with a finger pointing to Christ saying, he is the one that God promised would come who would make all things new, John the Baptist has done that good work. And then Matthew, the gospel writer, makes sure that you and I can see that Jesus is actually fulfilling the ancient words of the prophet Isaiah, as it says here, Jesus left Nazareth. He made his home in Capernaum by the sea. This is verse 13. In the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region in shadow of death, life, light has dawned. Okay. What's going on there with that ancient prophecy with John the Baptist pointing to Jesus, with Jesus coming on the scene, with all of that expectation, and the first thing he says is the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, first, let's just double click on the word repent. Maybe you've heard this word before. Maybe you've heard it in sort of an abusive sort of way. Uh, the word repent comes from a Greek word, metanoia. Meta means change. Noia means thinking. It means to change your thinking. The kingdom of heaven has come near, so change the way you think. But you know that right thinking leads to right action. So it actually means change the entire direction of your life. Okay. C.S. Lewis says, uh, the person who's moving the fastest doesn't always get to the goal the, the quickest. For example, if you're moving the fastest but in the wrong direction, you're actually getting farther away at a quicker rate. And so the person who gets to the goal the quickest is not the one that can move the fastest, but the one that can align themselves to the actual goal. And Jesus is saying, align yourself to the goal of the kingdom of heaven. Repent, turn yourself back to it. It's like a course correction when you don't know where you are and you click on Google Maps and it says, this is how I'm gonna get you back on track. He says, I've come both to demonstrate and to give you the power to come into the kingdom of heaven, not just in the future, but right now. And here's an interesting thing. Matthew makes sure to include the prophecy of Isaiah to Galilee of the Gentiles, right? In Jewish world thought, there were really kind of two ethnicities that mattered, Hebrew and everybody else. Okay? That word for Gentiles is the Greek word ethnos, from which we get ethnicity. It is, the, there's the Jews, and there's all the other ethnicities. And so it is really important to see that the Messiah, Christ, as he comes on earth, does not go to Galilee of the religiously pure insider Hebrews. One of the first places he goes is to Galilee of the outsiders, Galilee of the others, Galilee of the Gentiles. That is a strange place for a Messiah to begin his ministry. But Jesus shows up in strange places. You know, for many of you, uh, you maybe you'd say you're spiritual but not religious. Uh, maybe you've been a part of a church community before, some that had some really good aspects to it, some that had some really difficult ones. I hear stories all the time of those of you who have been abused in church situations, if not physically, at least spiritually or emotionally. And so maybe church is the last place you'd expect Christ or God or the divine or the spiritual to actually show up. And yet, you're saying things like, I can't believe I'm actually a part of a church right now. I can't believe I'm actually starting to believe these things. It's hard. I, 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 don't, I can't explain it, but the miracle is actually taking place. And I'm becoming convinced that Jesus is who he said that he was and that he actually loves me. And I'm coming to life. Because the invitation to follow Christ is an invitation that includes all sorts of surprises. Surprises for you. I mean, imagine what's going on in this next part of the passage we'll study. You have those fishermen who are surprised that Jesus actually meets them, not in the temple on the day of worship, which is where you'd think these things would take place, but in their place of business, in their workplace on Monday morning, for crying out loud. He'll meet you where you expect him. He'll meet you we at least expect the question is, are you open to what he's doing in your life? Part of what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of heaven is near. It's everywhere. And Galilee is a really loaded term. Galilee had so much traumatic muscle memory for the first audience of this passage. Um, Matthew describes it from Isaiah chapter nine, but Galilee was a place of great parish sadness in Jewish memory. It was in Galilee where the Assyrians had massacred all of their people in the eighth century before Christ. And so the prophecy of Isaiah actually comes to a people that are in great turmoil. And this is what the original Isaiah prophecy says in Isaiah 9. 
There will be no gloom for those who are in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. And so he's saying, for a place of so much trauma, so much sadness, so many dead ends, in the darkness of that place, even the light of God will break through. Now here's how it goes even further. You were paying attention and you noticed, I didn't notice this the first time, this is my job to point these <laughs> things out. The original prophecy from Isaiah actually says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. But when Matthew, the gospel writer, goes back and rehearses it in our passage, he says the people sitting in darkness have seen a great light. I think part of what he's saying is, this is a picture of our stories. That, that Christ, the Christian worldview, like see the realism of it. See the authenticity of it. Okay? To be a Christian is not to minimize your difficulties, not to sweep them under the rug, not to medicate them, not to run away from them. It actually gives you the ability, the buoyancy, the resource to say, it's actually really bad. It's not only dark, it doesn't only feel like I'm walking in the darkness. In fact, it feels like I'm sitting in the darkness. It just feels like I'm paralyzed. And he's saying, if it feels like you're paralyzed by the darkness, even there is where his light will break forth. So if you have any part of your life right now in your own story where you're saying things like, I'm confused. Why am I even here? I'm in pain. Why did these things happen? Maybe you're thinking, I have failed. Why did I do that? Why did I make that choice? I'm in pain. I'm at loss. How do I go on? Hear this. The darkness and brokenness and sadness of your life are not evidence that God is not at work. In fact, those might be the very places where he wants to begin to do his best work. The people sitting in darkness have seen a great light. That, that, that mean, gives meaning for our own story individually, but it also gives new meaning for the entire global cosmic story. Where there is violence and war, where there is sickness and death. And he says, look at my death and resurrection. These are why we sing the songs that we sing about the wonderful cross. Because in his life and death and resurrection, Jesus has actually taken the violence and sin and brokenness upon himself, even to the point of death on a cross, willingly taking the full weight of all that has been done to us and all that we have done to others throughout every generation and allowing it to crash upon his back and showing in the resurrection that he has actually dealt a death blow to death itself. That the people sitting in darkness have seen a great light. That's what it means to be a Christian, that now in fits and starts, in the already but not yet fully coming of the kingdom of heaven, we both rejoice that it's begun and we work for its completion as we are citizens of an entirely new kingdom. It's a call to transformation. And so when you lay all that out, it makes sense when he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and so repent, live into it. Recalibrate your GPS, change your thinking. Friends, it asks the question, what part of your life are you keeping in darkness? And what does it look like to let him into all of it? Now here, I know this is scary. We'll get to that. Um, you will never allow him into every aspect of your life until you can see that you can actually trust him. 
until you can see that he is good, until you can see that he doesn't want to be your co-pilot, he wants to be the pilot, and he will take you on a great journey and a great adventure of great cost, but he's good and you can trust him. This goes back to uh, one of the questions that was asked uh, about Aslan the lion and the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe as the kids ask, but, and, and the lion, Aslan, is the Christ figure, and the kids ask, is he a tame lion? To which the answer is, no, he's not a tame lion, but he's good, and you can trust him. It's a call to transformation. There's so much more to say on that, but let's move on to, it's a call to relationship. And we see this in that next piece from verses 18 through 22, where Jesus goes to Simon and to Andrew to James, to John, and he says, follow me. We talked much more about these words, follow me, last week, so if you haven't uh, listened to it yet, it's on the podcast, on the website. Um, but let me just touch on this. First of all, the invitation to follow him. When he says follow me, he, he's not saying follow my teaching. Follow my words. He's saying follow me. It's relational. It's intimate. It's not just in your head. Christianity, the invitation to follow Jesus is nothing less than amassing more information and understanding scripture and knowing these things, but it's a whole lot more. It actually involves some movement. It's dynamic. Follow me. And as we trust in him as our friend and our brother, as we follow him, we actually enter into a whole new experience of his kingdom together. Because the kingdom of heaven is not defined, defined geographically. You know, the great Christian hope is not that one day we will be beamed out of this broken earth into a beautiful heaven where we can leave all this stuff behind. The kingdom of heaven is wherever the kingship of Jesus is recognized. That's why in the Lord's Prayer later today, we will pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is actually advancing into this world as we follow him together. It's an invitation that's dynamic and not static. It's deeply personal and deeply relational. You know what it means? It means that you are invited, you are called to see that you are deeply known and deeply loved at the same time. That's something that everybody at their core wants deeply and we're all terrified of. Because most of us have a sense that if others knew everything about you, if you were really known, really known, other people would yawn because your life is boring, or they'd laugh because your life is pathetic, or they'd run because your life is a mess. And Jesus says, I know you, and I love you. What if you actually trusted that for just five minutes? Can you imagine what would be different in the way that you love other people? No more needy codependency. It could change the entire way that you do your work when you go to, to your job tomorrow. You can strive to do great work without needing to be acknowledged. You can give sacrificially and serve others generously without needing to be acknowledged because you know that the only verdict that really matters in the entire universe has already been cast and it is the verdict of beloved a whole new buoyancy, a whole new stability, a whole new way of life. It's relational, it's personal, it's also costly. See, Christianity makes no bones about the fact that to follow Jesus is actually to die to yourself 
and to rise to an entirely new life. And we see this in a very specific way as James and John, the sons of Zebedee, get the call from Christ to follow him and they leave their father in the boat. In other uh, renditions of the story, it says actually right before they left their father in the boat that they actually had the biggest catch of fish than they have ever seen in their whole life. That's wealth. If you're a fisherman and you have a lot of fish, you have a lot of money. And they left it all. They left their money, their wealth, their occupation. They left their father, at least for the moment. In kinship culture, the two sacred cows of your identity would be your occupation and your family. And Jesus is saying, I call you to something much higher, much greater. Now, here's the thing. All of us follow something. Nobody gets a pass on this. It's not like there's the Christians that follow Jesus and then the not Christian folks that don't have, we're just a blank slate. Everybody has something in the center of your life that tells you you will have meaning. You will have value. You can have hope. It might be your career. If your career just works out, then you will be okay. If you get recognized by enough people, then you'll know that you belong. We do this in all sorts of ways. Here's the thing. For example, if you make your sexuality the center of your life, pretty soon you will find yourself being dehumanized. If you make your job the center of your life, if you make your wealth the center of your life, if you make your image and the way you look the center of your life, you will become so anxious as you fear that you lose it. So the call to follow Christ is actually the call to end all of these minor idolatries in our life and to find ourselves with a true center around which our lives can orbit, the center for which you were created. You don't lose yourself, you actually find yourself. This reminds me of um, the biography of Steve Jobs done by Isaacson, great biography, and he talks about the way that Steve Jobs had recruited this guy named John Scully to be his COO of Apple Computers. Um, John Scully was already the head executive of Pepsi, PepsiCo, international, global organization. And Steve Jobs goes to John Scully and says, look, you can go on selling sugar water to the world or you can put a dent in the universe with Apple. Right? A new calling altogether. And Jesus says, I've called you not to put a dent in the universe, but I'm actually putting the universe back together. And I invite you into that great story because the kingdom of heaven is a hand. Turn, repent, get on board, become part of it. And trust me with this. Now, sometimes follow me means actually changing your career. But most often I find that it doesn't. You know, in the very beginning of one of the gospels, uh, a couple people, a tax collector and a soldier, a Roman soldier, go to John the Baptist and they say, what do I need to do in order to be a part of this kingdom? Do I need to change my occupation? And you would think the answer would be yes, because both were crooked in their own right in terms of their devious ways of doing their business. And he doesn't tell them to change their career. Instead, he says, go back to work, but do it as one who works for God, not for your boss. You still have a direct report, of course, but now you're gonna do your work with integrity. You're not gonna cut corners. You're not gonna swindle people. You're going to see your job as your little outpost, your sphere of influence for the kingdom of heaven. Follow him in the tension even though you don't know how it's going to turn out or where it's going to go because you trust him. He's not tame, but he's good. You can trust him. 
It's costly, right? You all know this. I mean, I, in some ways, I'm preaching to the choir because you're all a part of a church plant, okay? If you really wanted a stable, secure life, you would go to a big mega church that has a lot of programs and everything's already set for you and you just need to show up and consume things. I'm, I'm not throwing stones at the mega churches. God bless them, God love them. But you have already chosen to be a part of a missional expression of the church in the middle of San Diego. So I'm preaching to the choir and... You have to preach to the choir because the choir has issues too. And so I'm saying the things I need to hear as well. But it's costly, right? You want to know the easiest way to to have a church? It's to get a bunch of people together that think just like one another. Maybe that are of of the same ethnicity or of the same socioeconomic status. So we go on the same types of vacations. We read the same kind of books. We eat the same kind of food. You know what you get there? That's a social club. But instead what we're doing is we're starting a church the diverse body of Christ for the good of our neighbors, not just for ourselves, but actually outward facing. That is a costly way to go about starting a congregation. And yet you see, it's tied right into the original calling. As he says to us, follow me. It's a call to transformation. It's a call to relationship and it's a call to healing. Verse 23 through 25 actually demonstrates what it looks like when the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So it involves a proclamation, a verbal proclamation to the world that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it includes your words. And he went about curing every disease and every sickness among the people. It's words and deeds. It's your sins are forgiven and your body could be healed. It's individual transformation that your life can be changed and communal renewal, that our life together can be transformed, that North Park can be different, that the city of San Diego can more reflect the kingdom of heaven. See, as a church, we never want to fall off the road on either side. Does Jesus care more about forgiving people's sins or feeding hungry people? Does Jesus care more about people being reunited with God or our education system being totally overhauled so that everybody has access to information and knowledge and wisdom? And the answer is yes. It's both and. Does Jesus care more that your individual life is transformed or that entire communities are renewed? And the answer is yes. It's both and. This is not a new idea. We see this in his very resurrection. I don't have time to go into it, but just look at the accounts of Jesus' resurrection. After he is crucified, he's risen from the dead, and he doesn't reappear as just a bodiless soul floating on a cloud, disembodied. He appears flesh and blood. Spiritually renewed and physically renewed. A picture of a new creation altogether. And so we are about that good work. This is why we proclaim the gospel with our words and we enact the gospel with our deeds. This is why at Know Your Neighbor, there's one guy, Francisco, that continually shows up, rain or shine, and he always goes, I know you are the people that will always be here. Why do we do that? We do that because we believe God always shows up for us. So we're going to do that for others. And as we do, we are actually embodying in little ways and big, the kingdom of heaven is near. This is a call to healing. It shows the character of his calling. Jesus says, follow me. Well, where is he going? If I say follow me, your next question should be, where are you going? Matt, are you going for lunch? Because I want lunch. Let's go there. I'll follow you there. He says, follow me. And the first thing he leads them to is a bunch of broken, messy people with needs and sicknesses and questions. He leads them into the mess of other people's lives. 
Jesus wades right into the mess of people's lives. There's no storm he cannot quell. There's no knot that he cannot entangle. And he says, come to me, follow me. And as you do, you're actually going to move toward the pain points of other people around you. He shows the content of his calling as you join him in the renewal of all things. And it's interesting, one of the first things that these early disciples did, it says, uh, one of the first things they did in verse 24, and they brought to him all the sick and who were afflicted with various diseases and pain. They brought other people to him. What does it look like for you to bring your friends and your neighbors and your colleagues around Jesus? To bring those who are questioning and have doubts to bring those who are despairing, to bring those who are lonely, to bring those who are sick. I mean, on one hand, that's why we're striving to create a church here that always remembers what it's like not to believe these things. So you know that we are hospitable, accessible, understandable, and welcoming to all your friends and to all your questions. On one hand, the church is a hospital for broken people to be healed, spiritually, mentally, physically. It's a hospital, and it's a launch pad because it sends you out into the community to have that sort of commendation to others, to be an agent of renewal wherever you go. You know what this passage asks? It gives you a great diagnostic question. It says, if this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like, and the kingdom of heaven is actually at hand, closer to you than the air you breathe, then what specifically does it look like for you and me to repent, to turn around? to realign. Uh, maybe you write something down in your phone right now. What, what would be the next step of aligning with the kingdom of God? Um, what would be the next step of bringing some of your friends around Jesus? And as we do this together, we actually embody Jesus' prayer that God's kingdom would come and God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that you and I find deep life together as we do this, as it's exhilarating and exciting as it's costly and difficult, but as it's the way to the true and deep life that we're called to. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we do pray now that you would give us ears to hear your calling to each of us in a way we need to hear it, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Trust me, follow me, realign to me. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.